Welcome to Nattering with the Knights. Nord Anglia International School, Hong Kong's P department, talking about sport, physical activity, health and a host of other topics. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Nattering with the Knights. My name is Mr Erskine. Today I sit down with Mr Fikra Mercado, a year six teacher here at Nord Anglia International School, Hong Kong. Mr McCarroll shares his experience as a professional football player when he was signed for Derby County when they were in the English Premier League. He got the opportunity to train and play with some fantastic players, notably Fabrizio Ravanelli, who for our younger listeners might not know, but went on to win the Champions League with Juventus. This is a fantastic episode showing the highlights of being involved in professional sport, but also the harsh realities of when things don't always go to plan. I really appreciate Mr. McCardo opening out to, to me and to the, allow the listeners into this fantastic story. So get your earphones in, get out and get active, and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to our next episode of Nattering with Knights. Today I sit down with Year 6 teacher Mr. Fikra McCardo as we talk about his life as a professional footballer before he started teaching. Um, we've got the most technology we've ever had today. Uh, double screen as we work off of our uh, notes uh, and a beautiful side view of Lambton. Mr. McCardo has been promoted this year to a better classroom. How are you today, Mr. McCardo? Yeah, very good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so he's our first guest from outside of the PE department, but probably the most famous one that we've got. Uh, and I say the main part of the story today is talking about um, how he ended up being signed uh, by Derby County, who at the time when he signed them were an English sorry, an English Premier League team. So, Mr. McCarroll, let's get started. How did you end up getting signed by Derby in the first place? Well, I suppose to go back to the beginning, I would have started playing for the local schoolboy team in my area. Um, well, even before that, I remember playing the street, some of the some of the older boys on the street, and um, they were telling me about playing with a, a real team, with the, you know, they had goalposts and real kits and stuff like that, and... Back to my dad and said, "I want to join. I want to join this team. The boys are talking about. You know, they said I'd be, I'd be good enough to go and play." And he said to me, um, "Well, maybe when you're five, you can go and play." So I was obviously, I was obviously four years of age at this stage, going and asking him. The boys that were playing, it was an under eight team, so he was a bit worried about me going down as a four year old. He said, "On your fifth birthday, you can go down and play." Uh, but yeah, so I think I remember knocking on his door on my fifth birthday, saying, "You know, what? Bring me down to the club." Um, but yeah, that probably shows my priorities well when I was when I was a child. But yeah, I would have started playing with the schoolboy team, and then from there I was selected for the kind of league representative team. Um, that was quite a quite a big club at the time, and we went and played in various tournaments around Ireland and England and Scotland and places like that. Um, and then from them tournaments, I think I started being asked to go on trial. I think the first. First time I was asked to go on trial was after a tournament in Scotland when I was 11 years of age, and a man said he scout was uh, ringing my house, and we'd send in letters asking me to go over on trial then. Uh, but yeah, obviously only 11 years of age. My coach, I had quite a sensible coach at the time, and my parents were, they both kind of explained to me that it probably wasn't the best idea to go as an 11 year old, that legally you couldn't sign for an English club until you were 16 anyway and you weren't going to spend the next five years trips and over and back to Manchester and the coach told me at the time he said if if you're good enough when you're 14 or 15 clubs will be back in for you don't worry about that and right enough yeah they were by the time I was 14 or 15 I was 
spending most of my weekends and school holidays going over and back to England um, on trials. I think there was one half term I sticks out in particular. I was my plan for the week of half term was um, on the Saturday and Sunday I was going up to train with the Irish under fifteen or sixteen team in Dublin. Then I was flying to Manchester on the Sunday to train with Man United for three or four days. And then on the Wednesday, I was going from Manchester to Liverpool, and I was due to fly out with Liverpool to Copenhagen to play in a youth tournament over there in Copenhagen, fly back on a Sunday, and then go back to school on the Monday. So that was my kind of, that was sort of a snapshot of what I would have been doing during my school holidays at 15 odd. But uh, yeah, I went and tried to Derby, and Derby's place I fell in love with uh, as soon as I went to club and everything about it, and ended up signing there at Derby County, yeah. So for our, our younger listeners that maybe don't follow the championship, which is where Derby currently play, uh, they are captained and partly managed by Wayne Rooney, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Wayne Rooney's there now, so yeah, yeah. he's player coach. Yeah. Player coach, yeah. Wayne Rooney, probably one of the most famous English football players of all time, just to give it a little bit of context, still a big club, and obviously when Mr McCardo was there, a very big club. Uh, so obviously you've had this phenomenal experience working with Derby County and all the players that they had, and again... For our younger listeners, they probably don't appreciate some of these players, but I certainly do, given you're a bit more in my era. But can you describe the kind of daily experience of, of training with a pro team like, like them? Yeah, I mean, I loved it, I, uh, every bit of it. Like, I suppose, we, yeah, I mentioned earlier, all I wanted to do was to play football and to train every day. And to do that and do it for a living was unbelievable. Um, but training every day for a professional club, I mean, it was hard at times. Uh, I, I, I thought I trained hard as a kid growing up, but I didn't know what hard training was until I went to Derby. It was, it was unforgiving. And, and the scrutiny about training, every single training session, you had to be your best, you had to perform every day. Um, and that was probably a bit of a shock for me because I was used to being, you know, growing up, football was easy for me. And I was like probably, without being big-headed, I was... The, you know, the best player on the teams I was playing with and everything was easy for me. And then I got there and it was a bit like, wow, we, you know, you have to be on it every single day. Every Everyone there wanted to be the best. Everyone there was a winner. Um, every single training session, everyone wanted to win. You know, every training match was like a like a cup final. We were, you know, we'd be killing each other in training just over over training matches. And But I loved it. I, you know, I was I was like that anyway. So I kind of, I talked to it pretty well. Um but then you learn so much, as you say, some of the players we had then. I was training with international players every day, and the way they trained and applied themselves um, was was unreal. There was people like, think of a name, there was people like Fabrizio Ravinelli was there at the time. He came to the club after Italian International, winning the Champions League at Juventus, and I remember him coming, and <laughs> he used to turn up for training, actually, in a... In a four by four jeep and in a in a suit, he had a suit on, immaculate suit and a pair of shades, and there was like an aura sort of with some of these guys, you know. But I, we, I was probably turning up the tracks at the bottoms, you know. But he, he, and but it was sort of like the way they kind of not just in training and but the way they carried themselves as people and the way they presented themselves, the way they spoke to people. Um, the good hygiene, they showed respect towards people. Uh, you learned a lot from that. Like the, the, and then in training, like we used to do shooting drills, maybe, and you'd someone like that, Ravinelli. We we probably some of us thought of shooting drills as you know it's a bit of fun, and 
that wasn't how they saw it. Everything, everything was deliberate. Every shot they took was important. Ravinelli never missed a target, never mess around. You know, staying late after training. Every time, everything they did was was professional. And when I think about the sort of top level players that I would have trained with and played with, then they would have been they would have been the top of any profession they were in. If they if they went into any business, if they went into any kind of walk of life, they would have been they would have been the top level. Uh, they would have been the top level pro. Uh, but I, yeah, I absolutely loved everything about it, being there. Um, the youth team, the crack with the lads, you think about it, we had, you're maybe putting 20 lads together into a training ground, living together, working together, or training together, socialising together. You're talking about people there from the Congo, from Sweden, from Uruguay, from the roughest parts of Liverpool or Northern Ireland, and... Yeah, the jokes and the slag and everything about it. Uh, great memories from that time. I mean, I'm smiling here because I remember Fabrizio Ravanelli. And so for, again, the younger listeners who don't recall who he is, you can YouTube him because he was the guy that made the, the shirt over the head celebration a thing. He made yeah. it popular, which yeah. now has probably been outcasted with the fact you get a yellow card for revealing any of your body weight. Ravanelli was the one who started the, the shirt over the head celebration. Uh, as well as winning the Champions League, obviously. Um, so, interestingly, then, you've talked a lot about the standards that these players held. Um, but in terms of yourself, you were obviously a young a young man. You'd, you'd left school, I assume, early to, to go and be a pro footballer. So, how did you kind of build your education around that, that professional footballer career? Um, yeah, so, luckily... My parents were, were very keen on education and they, they kind of only agreed to let me go at 16 um, to England, to Derby, under premise that I continued my education there. And I had done pretty well in my GCSEs before that and they wanted me to keep going with that. So we we agreed a deal with Derby, whereas I was to continue doing my A-levels alongside training. That wasn't, I probably wasn't the norm. I was one of the only players that were that were doing that, but... Um, yeah, I, I continued my A, or I did my A levels over there, sort of around training. My kind of my daily routine would have been, I would have arrived at the training ground just before like nine o'clock. I suppose we would have started. I'd have one on one tutor at nine from nine till ten for an hour. Then we would have trained maybe ten fifteen, ten thirty to about lunchtime, twelve o'clock. Had lunch. We probably had some sort of training in the afternoon, maybe gym work or some speed training or power training or whatever it was. And then I would have had a one-to-one tutor session then at about four o'clock, three or four o'clock in, in the evening. Um, and then on a Wednesday, the Wednesday we spent the whole day at, at a college nearby. Uh, so that was sort of my daily routine. It was mainly one-to-one tutors. And I did two A-levels in my first um, two years. Funnily enough, when I was promoted to the first team, I was due to do two A-levels in two years and then the third year do a third A-level. That was the plan. Um, but I was promoted to the first team in my third year and we kind of had a bit of an old-school manager at the time, the first team, Jim Smith, and he, he, he sort of put a stop to that and said I needed to concentrate on my football and he didn't want me doing my A-level, which was a bit silly looking back now. But, yeah, I didn't manage to complete my third A-level there. I did that later. But, uh, yeah, that was my routine, routine when I was there. Okay. Um, Jim Smith, again, younger listeners won't know that one, but I'm smiling at that. Um, so, uh, for de- definitely all of our listeners will appreciate right now that, that players in the Premier League right now are, played, are paid you know, massive sums of money, uh, huge weekly wages. It's published in most of the papers and in the media. 
Um, now, without kind of pushing you for a specific figure, you were a Premier League football player, you know, now, I don't want to say how many years ago, but it was a while ago. But how did your salary <laughs> compare to that of a big English Premier League player of today, maybe? Yeah, no near that level. Um, <laughs> although, it, yeah, at the time, there was, like, the Derby first-team players, we mentioned Ravinelli, and there was good international players on on vast sums of money. At Derby at the time, on £30,000, £40,000 a week, even then, they, they, £30,000, £40,000 sterling a week they were getting at the time when Derby were in the Premier League. And, yeah, crazy money. Um, now, no, I was nowhere near that. I was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was well down the pecking order there. But uh, although still saying that, it was, it was good money for an eighteen-year-old. And um, probably more money than I needed. I was able to, to buy a car, um, a new car when I was seventeen when I first got qualified. Uh, a Peugeot two hundred six, bear in mind, the modest okay. car. But yeah. I was able to buy a car brand new. I was able to have clothes, the latest clothes, and things like that. And I had enough money. That when I left Derby, I, I used it to. I had a little pot that helped me through university, and that meant I didn't have to acquire a student loan. Um, so yeah, there was no shortage of money floating around the Premier League even at that time, and even for younger pros like myself. I suppose. Okay, good. I think that probably gives me enough of an insight. Yeah. Um, and so, what kind of brought about the end of your time at Derby? Probably a combination of things. I was going really well at Derby and I signed a new contract. I was playing in the reserves regularly. We actually won the reserve Premier League, beating Arsenal in the last game of the season. We were up against Arsenal and my profile was good. That game against Arsenal was in front of 10,000 people in Pride Park. It was like a title decider for the Premier Reserve League. But, uh, you know, it was it was a big match and I was up against a Brazilian international at the team playing that day. Edu was playing with Arsenal, one of the Invincibles with Arsenal around that time. And I did pretty well against them. And Jim Smith was the first team manager at the time. He took a bit of a shine to me. As I said, I got a new contract. So things were on the up. And very swiftly, it sort of turned around, as can happen in football and in sport. Um, Derby were relegated from the Premier League. They hit money problems, maybe referencing to the money they were playing some of the players I, I mentioned earlier <laughs> uh, they went into money problems they were close to going into administration and a new manager came in didn't really fancy me and they let a lot of players go and I was one of the players to, to be let go yeah. um, and then at that point you know obviously you you're, you said you're going well you're, you're, you're on the fringes of that first team um, and then so you, I assume you still held on hope to stay on as a professional footballer. That wasn't just the end immediately after that contract that went. Yeah, to be honest, that moment kind of hit me hard because, you know, I grew up all my life from when I was, I'd say, eight, nine, ten years of age. I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to be a professional footballer. It wasn't even that I wanted to be. I just, I kind of knew I was going to be. You know, and I had no doubt, not that I was going to be a fresh footballer, that's what I was going to spend my life doing. And when that, when I was told that, that I was being let go from Derby, it was kind of like a bombshell drop. And I, I sort of immediately realised, maybe this is not going to happen for me. I, I, to give you a context in that, because some players do go on after being let go and do better, but I was kind of the sort of player I was. I was a, a technical, small, skillful midfielder, and... Um, maybe like a David Silva type player who, who was playing with Man City up until the end of this year. And I sort of knew going down the leagues wasn't going to suit me. Um, down to, like the lower leagues in England, very physical, 
um, and the sort of football they played wasn't going to suit me that much. And so kind of in a weird way, it probably would have been easier for me to make it at a higher level. And when that wasn't going to happen, it, it was going to be very difficult for me. Players like me, um, like your David Silvers, are players like that. They have to be they have to be dominating games. They have to be the best player on the pitch. Otherwise, it's very hard for them to counter. You know, I wasn't as big or as strong or as fit or as physical as some players. So unless I was dominating games, I wasn't able to win the tackles or get up and head balls or compete physically with some players. So I had to dominate games to do that. And unfortunately, I wasn't I wasn't good enough to do that consistently. Um, and yeah, Derby let me go based on that and I kind of I had to accept that so from going for someone who thought yeah I'm going to be professional footballer very quickly I think I realised I wasn't Pardon the background noise guys we're just getting the windows cleaned as we go through the episode here um, but yeah so then after Derby you still while you maybe have accepted in your own head that professional football might not work out for you you didn't kind of stop there did you, you kind of went through a few a uh, few more processes to try and see what other options lay there for you yeah, I mean, I went on trial to different clubs around the lower leagues in England, um, Port Vale, uh, went to Oxford United, a couple of clubs like that, but for the reasons I mentioned earlier, it wasn't, it wasn't really happening for me. Um, and then a lot of people told me at the time I'd be more suited to playing on the continent and things like that. And I had an agent at the time, and he set up me going over to Spain uh, to go over and train with a club in Spain. Uh, that were in the second division in Spain, Deportivo Castellon, and I went over there for five or six weeks training with them with the hope to sign in the following year. And I absolutely loved it over there. The football uh, really suited me, loved the training, um, but I struggled. I was 19. I was living not only away from home because I was used to that, but I was living in a country where I couldn't speak the language, where people didn't really speak English. And it, I, found it, I found it really difficult, and I just got to a stage where I was... I, I was a bit fed up and I decided to, to return home to Ireland. I decided that maybe going back to university and playing semi-pro football in, in Ireland was probably the best option for me. Okay, so then, yeah, over the next decade, you kind of applied your trade as a footballer um, in this kind of semi-professional leagues, as well as going back, to, going back to university and getting your degree, which allowed you to become a teacher. So how did you juggle those commitments? Because I'd imagine that was a very different timetable to what you were experiencing as a, as a pro footballer. Uh, yeah, to be honest, once I got over the disappointment of being, of of, of not being a professional footballer, or that it wasn't going to work out for me, um, I think I was able to deal with things quite well in terms of work commitments or being a semi-pro footballer. Like the experience, you think about it, the experience as a professional footballer, you're under, I mentioned it earlier, you're under scrutiny every single day to perform. And, you know, it's a high-pressure, high-intense environment. There's no such thing as bringing in sick. There's no such thing as having a slack day at work or not not meeting deadlines or not having discipline or you know that that just didn't happen so and I was used to that environment so when it came to things in the real life let's say like uh, uni exams or deadlines or work meetings like I had dealt with contract negotiations I dealt with media interviews I dealt with agents trying to suck me in I dealt with the the highs of being a footballer, I dealt with the lows of maybe being let go and how hard that hit me. So when it came to sort of real life pressure situations, um, I, I, I could deal with them. I could deal with them pretty well. I mean, some people still describe me as being quite laid back, and I, 
what well, yeah well I might be I think rational I would say is a bit more of a, a better adjective as I, I just from having them experience I think I was well able to, to deal with real life pressures a bit better and so when you play football now which um, if you call in the introduction is actually with me as one of your high quality teammates um, which is a fair drop in standard I'd imagine from what you were playing with me and Ravenelli were probably similar in our heyday though um, so yeah what's in it for you now you know you, do you still get the joy from it when you that you when you play now as you did when you were younger yeah you probably run more than Ravenelli I'd say, I'd say, I'd say that's one thing I'll give you uh, no yeah I, I still absolutely love it I must say um, even though I'm, I'm doing it for fun now rather than a living uh, football kind of it consumes me. It, it always has, and I think it always will, especially when I'm playing. Um, you probably know from playing and training with me, I hate losing. I, it drives me mad. Even, even training games, if, if I come <laughs> home, I, I, if, if my team doesn't win in training or if someone might get the better of me, or it, sometimes I, I lie awake thinking, or the next day I find myself thinking about it. And I think sometimes I have to have a word with myself and say, look, you need to, Faith, you need to cop on a little bit here. You know, there's more important things. But... Um, no, there's something special about playing with a team. Anyone who plays with a team will tell you, winning with a team. and I love that feeling, feeling of playing well, the feeling of scoring a goal or getting the better of an opponent. or And even the sort of extrin, extrinsic stuff, like showing I'm a good player. I, I'd hate for people to see me playing or play with me and think, geez, I thought he was supposed to be a good player. You know, I, I, yeah. I thought he used to be a pro. That I, I would hate that. I, I, and... On the flip side, I kind of like when people watch me play and and they say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I can I can see why I can see why he 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 was a pro footballer at one stage. Uh, you can see that, and that's nice. And I think everyone everyone sort of likes that. Everyone likes when they're when they're good at something to be to, to do it and to be praised for it. I probably I try and remember that and try and be very positive in my my teaching career. <laughs> Positive reinforcement is, uh, is a big one. Probably. Well, we'll ask his year sixes from last year. Maybe his <laughs> current year sixes haven't had long enough with him to know that one. Um, so then, you know, we, young people generally all over the place, um, their, main, their main aspirations, you know, young males all across the world, their aspiration is to be a professional footballer. I remember it was mine. Um, I, I gave up my dream a bit earlier than you, I'll be honest. Um, but realism that it wasn't going to happen for me, but... Yeah, have you any specific words of advice for those who want to be a pro footballer or a sports person in general? Uh, I'd say the main thing, well, number one would be um, don't forget your education. Uh, when when I became a professional footballer, people people said to me, going over, even the people who started as, I, as young pros, only 99% of them make it, make it to the top. Um, and so that 99% will need, will need an education. But... Uh, I kind of argue that the 1% who make it to the top need an education even more. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's so important for everyone and it's been so important for me throughout my life that I carried on my education and I was able to, to follow up with that. Uh, and secondly, I'd say just never stop listening. I think back as an 18-year-old at times, maybe maybe I thought I knew it all. I think we all do when we're, when we're growing up. We, I, I thought I knew everything and sometimes I didn't want to listen to people and some advice they were given and... I knew better than anyone, but I think the older you get, the more you realise that you need to learn and, and, and to keep learning and keep listening to advice. Wise advice, indeed. Uh, I'm nodding my head in agreement here. Um, so that concludes our um, our kind of our, our discussion today. Um, hopefully, me and Mr. McCardo will be uh, 
back arm in arm on a football pitch soon once yeah. uh, restrictions lift and we can go back to uh, conquering amateur football in Hong Kong. Our team were top of the league um, until things were postponed and cancelled. So we, we hope to start as we mean to go on this season. And uh, yeah, I'll carry on doing his running while he does the, the real footballer stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks again for your time, Mr. McArdle. And uh, No problem. Thanks for having me. Enjoy yeah. the rest of your week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nattering with the Knights. If you want to make sure that you don't miss any future episodes, then please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please reach out to your PE teacher if you have any feedback or ideas about topics you would like to see and hear about in the future. In the meantime, have a great week and we will see you next time.